Shut up and sit down. admitted that we're kind of having a few problems with November. Um, I hit the 25% mark last night on my um, on my plot document for uh, my Quantum Bang. Pretty excited about it. Um, don't have any obvious plot holes yet, so that's always good. It's always good. You know, your first draft's going so smooth. Unfortunately, November's looming, and I've got nothing. i got nothing. But I did want to um, share with you guys um, something, and um, I'm going to put it on Twitter, because uh, I think that that will make it easier to share. <laughs> Let me get over to Twitter. Okay, because I think my Twitter's public, um, and so, oh, 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 so, um I'm going to have a uh, short story released on the 15th of this month. That's in three days. It's called On Top. And I'm going to share um, the cover with you guys on Twitter. And I will give you guys a link to it in the chat room so you guys can see it as well. And I believe that I should be able to share it in the chat room just like this because my Twitter is public. We shall see. I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, twice. It it's shared twice. So anyways, it's just one. <laughs> and um yeah, so it's just a little short story. It'll be on it'll be um for sale for 99 cents. Um, it'll be on all the various outlets, and I'll get you guys links when it happens. Uh, but um, just something that I wrote, um, the publisher asked me to, um, so I did, and there it is. And it's um, about a um, a Navy commander who's on leave and runs across somebody familiar at a club, and um, they get their freak on because the blue line at Cobblestone is, an, um, is a short story erotica line. Anyways. So I think that um, it's uh, it's a cute, fun story, and it's very sexy, and I really enjoyed writing it. So I hope you guys enjoy reading it. And I lost my chat room again. And I, I shared that on Twitter, you guys, and I didn't even put anything on it. I just so I could get up. <laughs> That's so that's so terrible, right? Okay, hold on. Can I I can't I can I not edit a tweet? Oh, that's unfortunate. Apparently I can't edit a tweet. 
Um, okay. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely little picture of a man. I, I appreciate um, men. And um, but um, yeah. I uh, that's I'm, I am, I am. Uh, a little distracted because I got all that in my email shortly before the podcast started. And, um, oh, no, I, um, someone asked in the chat room if I have shared the fandom that I'm doing for Quantum Bang, and the answer is no, I have not. Um, it's my goal to appear as anonymous as possible going into the artist claim. So, um, I'm not sharing um, anything, not my pairing, not my, not my fandom, not my title. Um, I, in fact, I don't impl- I don't plan to share it with anybody but the artist who gets my work until the day it is posted on Quantum Bang. Um, so it's going to be a complete mystery to you guys until the very day it's posted on QB because um, it's my first bang and I just want to, just want to be a surprise. I have written in the fandom before, um, and that's that. That's all you get. That that's all. And so um, I have quite a list of fandoms. So that really wasn't all that helpful, was it? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I was thinking about doing Stargate for um, November, but then I thought maybe I would do um, um, a Tony Dinozo focused story and then um I got distracted and then um uh, you know so it isn't my situation coming in November is no different than my situation co- the, as I was coming into July um I'm honestly very distracted by um my um my uh my my quantum bang my quantum bang is both het and slash No hints. It's everything. I'm an, yeah. Every hole in the storm. Anyway, <laughs> gonna put Jilly on the air. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find okay? a use for that. Any any hole in a storm. I said every hole. <laughs> or every hole. Okay, every hole. That's that's even going taking it further. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I do want my story to be a really a, a complete surprise. And um, you know, Jilly and Lady Holder are are a beta alphaing for me. And I think I can safely say that this story is a little bit outside my norm. I I would say so. I'd say so. Yeah. But I think that my readers will be really pleased and surprised. But you know, so let's get let's just get past this before I say too much. Okay, but okay. Yeah, one of the things we talk about um, periodically is like the help of an alpha reader or having a bounce bunny or just friends you talk stuff out with. Even if it's not a full-on alpha reader thing, you know, just like that process of like, okay, I'm stuck, help, and explaining the thing. And sometimes I have had moments where just even though I've been wrestling with it, 
that just explaining my problem is solves it for me. By the time I get it all out, like the whole getting it out in a logically consistent way, take it out of that creative space and put it in a logical way for somebody else, the act of doing that sometimes shows me the, the solution. But sometimes it just also just opens me up to, you know, to working with other people and other people have different perspectives and sometimes they see the obvious thing that I've been missing. But anyway, we talked before about about talk to your friends, talk to another writer, have a bounce buddy. And I am surprised the number of people I talk to who, who think that that's not going to work for them or who don't understand what that process is like, what it's like to bounce things off of somebody else. Um, so when we were talking about the show, I said, well, I've got a lot of problems with November. And Kira said she had a lot of problems with November. I said, well, we could like model this whole process of what it's like to fix your problems with somebody. So, no, no. And so we're going to bounce off here, each other. We don't mean that in the J.D. Robb kind of way. Right, right. There's no there's no nudity involved. Um, <laughs> um, but the um, one thing I will say is that Kira and I have done this enough, and I've done this with Lady Holder too, that they can make suggestions and they know they can make suggestions that I – and they know I'm comfortable saying that doesn't work for me, and I know they're not going to be upset if I does something that doesn't gel for me. Um, so, I mean, we, we've done this enough that, that we're familiar with each other's patterns and how far we can push something or how, how, how you know, what kind of questions we can ask and that kind of thing. So that, that bit takes a little bit to get familiar with somebody because when you're doing this with somebody you haven't done it with before, you're kind of – you know, it's kind of a dance. It's like, well, how much is too much, you know? Do you, what kind of suggestions do you want? Do you want to be told that that's kind of a strange idea? Do you not want to be told that that's weird? or You know, that kind of thing. So that takes a while to build. Ellie asked in the chat room, how many drafts of a plot or outline do you go through before you settle enough to, to write? Um, I don't do a draft process on my outline. Whereas I like with with a doc with a story, I'll have like a separate documents for my different drafts. When I get ready to write draft two, I'll make a copy of my original file, um, title it title two or draft, and then start working on it, leaving my original file alone. When it comes to my plot, I only have one document, and I edit it till I'm satisfied. So there's no draft process for me when it comes to a plot or an outline. But I usually yeah. plot or outline. I, use, I, t- I take notes in a notebook, and then when I finally get to the stage where I'm ready to write my my plot, my my event plot, um, I do that in Word and um, because it's very similar to my writing process. So is my plot event process. And so it's, it's very natural to do that on the computer. And by the time I get there, but for my quantum bang, I printed out my my document, and it's um, hold on, I keep forgetting. It's eighteen pages. Uh, I'm on page five. I'm about to start page five in my writing, and I've already written all over it. I've got check marks, and I've scribbled stuff out, and I've got notes on the back because I can't spell. Um, and I've got notes in the margins. It's you know. 
kind of like when you get your term paper back from a really, really mean professor. <laughs> That's what my plot document looks like right now. Did you know this sucks? It just sucks. <laughs> I got names scribbled in the margins because I forgot to put character names in or change the character name. And, you know, I scribbled stuff out already and I've moved things around and, you know, changed the number. Like insert point twenty eight here because it was wrong. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a thing. And, but, yeah, I don't, uh, I, there is something called a draft zero that some authors do. It's not even a rough draft. It's kind of like a glorified outline, except, except like way beyond that. It, it's like a cut down version of the story. Um, kind of, I would say it's, the times I've seen a draft zero um, it's usually like a lot of exposition explaining. Um, and people do that instead of like a plot document. It, and it was called like a draft zero. It's a technique a lot of um, some pantsers use is the draft zero. And then they use that draft zero to work out their problems and that kind of thing. Um, draft zeros don't really work for me. I've never really worked well in that kind of – I go straight to the rough draft um, yeah, my plotting is a little bit. I think I think Kara's plotting style is a little more linear than mine. Um, I tend to um, plot by major points um, and then fill in the pieces between them. So, like, I'll come up with like you know if there's like four main events or whatever, and then I'll fill in what has to happen to get from to get to the end. So it's not quite as um, it's not as quite as linear. And I do think linear plotting actually helps you find more problems in my brain. For some reason, in the plot pro, plot cycle, everywhere else is very linear, but in, the, in plotting, it's not super linear, which is a little bit strange. But that's creativity for you. It's not all on the left side of the head. It happens. It happens. Um, so... Um... I have a couple of different ideas, and none of them are really concrete for um, for November. So let's start with yours. Mine. Okay, so mine mine has like I thought I talked about it a little bit on one podcast, um, but there's elements that like the problem I'm running into is there's elements that aren't gelling, um, and one of the big elements is I don't know what the focus of the story is, <laughs> which is a big problem which is making everything else difficult to gel it around. Um, because normally I tend to tend to steer towards romance, but, you know, this whole lost, lost grandson thing vibe is kind of steering me a little bit more towards the family vibe. But anyway, um, so this is the idea where um, Tony Dinoza gets kidnapped and he is um, experimented on by Hydra. And he is... Um, basically becomes a version of a super soldier. Uh, but it's in that process that they reveal uh, to Steve that he's got a grandson and that it's his grandson who's missing and that they need the Avengers' help to try to find Steve's grandson. And so I've worked out the timeline. that All the backstory is completely irrelevant to – well, not irrelevant, but it's not going to – you know, I've worked out, like, the details of, like – you know, how that happened, you know, when Steve met um, Elizabeth Rossi and, and, you know, 
you know, their affair and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and uh, that uh, Peggy knew about Claire and Peggy had watched over her. And Peggy was the only one who even knew that Steve had offspring, had a child. And Peggy is, has there been a code word about a, a you know, she had, I, I think somebody in Peggy's position, they did frequent, um, like cognitive tests on her and the minute she started at her own insistence and the minute she started failing her cognitive tests, she passed on the information to Phil and Phil is the one who knows who this asset is. And ultimately eventually Fury finds out that Steve has a grandkid, but nobody will tell him who it is and he doesn't know who it is. So that's when they. So this would have happened fairly shortly after the events of the Avengers, um, but long enough time for Phil to have recovered. So Phil has to break his cover in order to kind of tell the Avengers about this whole thing. Anyway, so I have the whole setup for the story, and mm-hmm. I under, I know exactly what's going on with Tony and what his life is like. As he's not with NCIS, he's actually working for the FBI. I'm sorry, Homeland Security, in, in this story. Um, I just have this thing. It's a hard stop in my mind that I can't keep Tony in. You know, in, in most of my stories, I don't have a framework to keep Tony at NCIS in 2012. It just, I can't do it. So he's long gone from NCIS. He's working for Homeland. And um, so they go and get him. That's all the setup phase, right? And then my idea just fizzles. <laughs> it's like, I've got all this setup, but there's no, it's not going anywhere. So What's um, Tony's code name? Century. Century. I like that. Um, that was your suggestion. Was it? Well, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very pleased with my work on your story so far. <laughs> I wish I remember why I suggested it. <laughs> um. But we had talked a little bit about one of the things we had talked about back then was that, you know, what are the pairings going to be if there's a romance? And there's a few, like, um, issues I have uh, pairing-wise. Um, I don't like putting characters together who are going to have a significantly different lifespan, like significantly, significantly different. And it's my headcanon that the super soldiers are you know, very long-lived. So there's that. Um, And then, I don't know. I thought about focusing the story on Steve. My initial thought was to focus the story more on Steve and not on Tony and about Tony's um, ripple effect of Tony coming into his life at that point and kind of taking over his adjustment in the world and, Mm -hmm. um, sort of mitigating um, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s effect on Steve and thereby preventing the shenanigans that were the Winter Soldier. Um, I think there are a couple of characters you could put Tony with if you wanted to have a pairing um, that have a very long lifespan. Um, The first being, someone just said it in the chat room, Loki, uh, and that depends on how he behaved during the events of the Avengers in your universe. Because uh, I don't think Tony would um, allow himself to be involved with somebody who's guilty of mass murder. No. no. 
No. Um, and I, so and there, there's that there's that thing that I can see that like somebody like an Asgardian that they would see um, somebody killing a bunch of people. And they didn't think anything about going in and killing a bunch of frost giants, right? Um, no. no, basically no provocation. So they didn't really think anything about that. So I could see that it's a different perspective if you live live for thousands of years, that killing a few hundred mortals here and there is not a big deal to you. But Tony is, this is his planet, this is his home. We're talking about Tony Dinoza here. Tony, this is his, uh, I will refer, for the purposes of this, Tony Stark will be Stark and Tony Dinozo will be Tony. But um, he, Tony, one of the things I, I have about, I always write Tony, he has a lot of um, sort of like moral conviction. He's not like a pious kind of person, but he has a hard line. And I think that Loki, as he was presented in canon, would be over Tony's line. I think that that really just leaves Bruce Banner and Thor. Now we know that the gamma radiation, the gamma radiation that Bruce was exposed to, makes him makes him immortal in the comics. Um, so in that respect, him and Tony are a good match because not even Thor is mortal. I mean, I mean immortal. Right. He will eventually die, but, like his father did. Right. But and, and while Bucky Barnes cannot be held accountable for what happened to him or what he did while he was the winter soldier because he'd been brainwashed. He also is his grandpa's best friend. And that's kind of creepy. <laughs> oh yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I can't be banging but, my grandpa's best I was, friend. I was, I, I was just talking about the, I was responding to the thing about leaving out Barnes, the moral certainty is that I don't think that Bucky is in any way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair Tony with Bucky in this story. Uh, but, Huh. But I don't know that Doctor Strange is long lived either. There's nothing. I mean, he could be. The other supreme, if he does those, the other supreme sorcerer died. She died. She was very old when she died, but she'd been doing a very bad thing to obtain her long life. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know that Doctor Strange would cross that line. But um, I feel so there, there are from a perspective. I think it's Thor, Bruce, because Bruce, um has a great deal of respect for life to the point where he isolates himself so he doesn't turn into the Hulk and hurt anyone. Yeah. And then when he does get pushed too far, he takes a Quinjet off Earth, ends up going through a wormhole, and retreats and, and, and never comes out of Hulk until until Thor finds him. So... In a, in a, a lot of ways, Bruce is, is very much a good choice for Tony. But, you know, it, it really depends whether or not you want to have a relationship-focused story. Yeah, and and that's the issue. It's like if I want to go that direction, it's Thor Bruce. Um, or I could focus the story more on Steve and it be... I think it's, there's going to be some focus on Steve anyway, because part of the reason for the timing of the story is to intercept that whole Winter Soldier plotline, because it can't happen anyway. Because one of the things that um, I have kind of as one of the ideas I have right now, it's in my plot, but it, it's one of those elements that could be removed, but it's a big element. 
um, if I take it out, it changes. I actually, you know, the whole plot changes. So it's an early element, which is that um, one of the, the Winter Soldier's current task at that point is to work in this lab. He's the security for this experiment. So he's the one escorting Tony back and forth to these experiments. And um, Tony takes him with him, takes Bucky with him. So Bucky is, um, he basically, Tony's able to hide. Because the serum is a part of Tony's, Tony was born with the serum. It wasn't given to him. So he's able to hide that the serum is, becoming effective he's not showing not allowing them to see that he's changing because like i said he's it's this isn't the big old horrible painful process for him which is what they're looking for is that if it works he's going to be in agony or something and he's not and it's my the reason the way i'm working it is that that's because it's intrinsic to who he is that that serum is in part of him, part of him and they're just activating what it's more like activating for him more like activating a recessive gene than being genetically changed so um he he clocks bucky when he is ready to bust so he basically busts himself out because that is to tends to be the way to write things is ultimately tony tends to for himself. So he's getting himself out and he just clocks Bucky and knocks him out and takes him with him because he recognizes that there's something there. So um, anyway, so if I do that element of they have Bucky at that point and Bucky's rehabilitation and stuff then becomes a factor in the story. And then that whole Winter Soldier thing, that whole plot line, with mm-hmm. Bucky going after Steve, that all goes away. But then you still have to deal, I still have to figure out how to deal with the Project Insight stuff. So, and the um, Hydra infiltration, yeah. Oh, it becomes or a matter of, it I mean, doesn't exist in your verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist. Um, it doesn't happen. So there's this, there's this issue of, like, I feel like I've got, and this happens sometimes with stories, you feel like you've got a really good setup. Um you've got a good foundation of something, but then it lacks focus. It just kind of, everything gets blurry. And that's what I have is my story doesn't have a point yet. Um, it could be a point of, if, if the point is a pairing, um, it could be, um, the point could be about, um, shaping Steve into, into, if the focus is Steve, it's a little bit different than if the focus is Tony. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. The Steve storyline um, about kind of trying to break, because in some ways I do think that Steve kind of was conditioned by S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, they left him ignorant of a lot of things, and I think that mm-hmm. he might just instinctively listen to his grandson over S.H.I.E.L.D. where he might not listen to other people. Um, so your story becomes the one I'm saving Captain America from himself and Nick Fury. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I think I think Tony be the kind of guy who would step in and go, I'm sorry, he's not fit to be doing this right now. What's the matter with you people? And being and I that I'm Tony- next of kin... I say no, but I could see Tony stepping in the gap and filling in on missions. Um, 
but I just I think that he would immediately see that what they were doing with Steve was wrong, and I think that he would like you know he can't he can't be out there doing this stuff right now. I mean unless the world, unless there's another alien invasion, you got to find somebody else. It can't be him. So I think that there would be a, a real interrupt in, in in Steve Rogers' life, and the question then becomes, is the focus of the story about that and that progression of events and what's going on with Steve and um, the fallout from that, um, or is the is the story focus about Tony and getting adjusted to becoming a mutant? And I mean, he, that that's going to be an element no matter what. But is that the focus, or is the other the focus? So it becomes a question of, and I don't. I don't really have a I don't really have a strong opinion at this point, which is kind of killing me. Well, do you want to have a um, hurt comfort recovery story with with grandpa grandson bonding, or do you want to have a action adventure where Tony rescues himself and seduces a god? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that does sound like more fun, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, but when, I you, put it that, when you put it that way, <laughs> um, I'm just saying because hmm. if Jane dumped Thor earlier, you know oh. he could be a little hurt, and <laughs> and his brother's an asshole. I'm just saying that Thor could use some some attention. <laughs> that could be a fun pairing. Yeah, I think if I wanted to go more the fun action adventure route, Thor would be the pairing. If I wanted to go the more um, serious. serious route, it would be Bruce. Yeah, because Bruce is um, he's Bruce is the walking wounded. So if you're going to take on Bruce, that that requires um, a lot of angst. But if you just want to have a hot, sexy time and kick some bad guys' ass. Then, then Thor's your man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Thor wasn't around for any of those events, but there's no reason I can't change that. <laughs> In huh. fact, um, you could probably bring Thor... Because, see... Thor does come back to Earth because he comes to see Jane. So they do repair the Bifrost Bridge to the point where he can travel back and forth, right? So, and then when he yeah, comes eventually. to Loki in the, the, um, the, the, the beginning of the Avengers. So he has a way to Earth. Um, and it could just be, you know, trying to get him to all his attention saying, you know what, I need Thor, my grandson's in trouble, and I need more help than I'm getting. So, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there definitely could be ways to get... Um, Thor's attention. I had an idea that I immediately had to throw it out. Because I'm trying... Well, I was trying... To, well, I was kind of pondering... I mean, Thor um, and potentially... You could argue potentially Loki got wounded in the battle. So what if Hydra got a hold of some of their blood? And we're using that as... Because I'm going to give... Because in Sentry in... I'm not actually working with Sentry's backstory or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm using having Sentry be somebody else completely, obviously, than who Sentry was in Marvel canon. Um, is... Um, 
but I'm going to have them experimenting with some other stuff so that Tony has abilities beyond just being super strong and healing and aging slowly. Um, and some of them kind of in line with Sentry's abilities. Uh, kind of, I want to kind of do a nod to Sentry without actually using Sentry, but whatever. Anyway, um, but I think if they use some Asgardian blood. Um, we know that Loki's that, dad store. Right. So if Hydra and somehow gets a hold of that. that Sitwell, we know that Sitwell is Hydra. Yes. So it stands to reason that Sitwell might be able to get a hold of that weapon when when Shield's cleaning up. When he's cleaning up Stark Tower, um, he picks that knife up, takes it away. They've got Thor's blood. Yeah. So if they try to leverage that to do some experiments about, I don't know, Asgardian strength or something like that, trying to boost the super soldier serum, because maybe they question, you know, this is in his blood already. It's diluted. Maybe it's not going to be effective. Um, and then that could also be a way to get Thor back. Is like, we need to figure out what was done to him. And then Thor would be really, um, you can't experiment on Asgardian. What's the matter with you? What are you doing, S.H.I.E.L.D.? You can't run experiments on him. But I don't want there to be even a hint of, like, related. You know, I don't want there to be, like, this whole, any kind of family vibe if, um, I don't want there, yeah, I don't want there to be, like, a family vibe if I'm going to do a romantic pairing. What if they isolate something in Thor's blood, like an enzyme? Loki is not an Asgardian. Loki is a fucking frost giant. And I don't even want to know what that would do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that would be. But what if. Okay, you have the golden apple. What if they were searching for the enzyme that gives our Asgardians their long life? And it's something from the oh. golden apple, and they find it in Thor's blood. That works. That works. Hmm. Okay, so if I go that route, I'm liking that. I mean, that I'm like that gives it focus. Is like this is about this would be then the story about Tony getting used to. There'd be like a sub, the subplot would be the building a bond with his grandfather thing. That would be kind of that would be the subplot, but the um, the main story would be about Tony getting used to these abilities and trying to figure out what they are, um, trying to bring Hydra down because Hydra would be heavily invested in getting him back, um, and and he might end up only safe on Asgard. Oh, that could be interesting. Yeah, he might have to go to Asgard for a while. Oh, it's too bad he has to go off and live in live in a beautiful kingdom with his hot ass godly boyfriend. <laughs> that poor boy. It's a shame. <laughs> I'm just you know, just saying. That'd be rough. I know. I know that'd be. Yeah. I know that'd be sacrifice for everybody to have to read that. It'd be so rough. But I would. I would persevere. 
I would, nevertheless, <laughs> I would persist. Okay, so that helps. Focus is everything, right? I mean, you can have the greatest setup in the world, but if you don't know where your story is going, it's just going to fizzle. Um, I think that's my problem with synthetic. I was trying to go in too many different, um, different directions at once, and I fizzled last year, so year before, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever that happened. was. It, I have many ideas that I start to plot, and then I just, it's like I have, an, I have a start. Or I have a middle, but I don't have anything else, you know. And it's best, if I have a middle, I can usually build out from that. But if all I've got is a beginning or some or a world building idea, those can, I can spend a lot of you know time building details and stuff. But then it starts to like, well, where is this going? What is the point of this? Um, so I had a, I did have a ba- I had a backup idea that I was just sort of noodling on um, with the DC extended universe that would be more of a romance focused thing. Um, obviously still the mutant thing, but um, I was still kind of, I really liked all the work I had done on this whole Tony and Steve's grandson. Um, so I'd really want to you know, try to work that out, but I was like, well, I have no idea where this is going. What is the focus of this? Is there a pairing? Is it more like, you know, this kind of family vibe and Tony and Steve bonding as they go around the country on motorcycles. I didn't know, but I like this idea of working more towards the Thor Tony angle. I think that's interesting. And it would be kind of different. I've never seen that pairing in fandom. I haven't either. doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Um, so and if it if it does pop, if it's out there if it pops up between here and November I will not be reading it because I strictly avoid um, rare pairs that uh, I'm planning to write so um, yeah good idea because I mean clearly I have I when I first conceived this story it was funny because when I first conceived this story idea it was way back way earlier this year, like before before I started plotting for July. And I couldn't conceive of Tony Stark and Tony Denosa. It just made no sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then July came around and I got over it. Um, <laughs> but but um, it didn't change my mind about the story because of the lifespan issue. Uh, right. Now I could, if I wanted to, I could do something probably with extremists, and work, and sort that thing out. But I don't think I think it, I think that would be bringing in a lot of angst um, into the story uh, because of the tension between at that point in time, which mo- which post post Avengers, most of us resolve the tension between um, Stark and Rogers it, it, into a romantic pairing. But it was still there. I mean, they were getting along, but there was still tension there, right? So I don't think that tension would be helped by by Stark fucking Steve's grandson. So, no, um, no. Especially since I'm half convinced most of it was sexual tension. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was sexual tension too. And I mean that's kind of the only point at which I can get those two together is immediately after the first Avengers movie. Once the Winter Soldier happens, I just the pairing just goes right out the window for me. 
So the timeline, yeah. the time, the timeline for their their pairing is is pretty. You know, I like to do a canon divergence. Sometimes before Avengers and sometimes after, but <laughs> I just, I'm pretty much done right there because uh, I'm not on board with what Steve does in Winter Soldier. I'm sure as hell not on board with what happens in Civil War or Age of Ultron. I'm 100% done. Yeah, it's just they wrecked it. So um, it, it, you do have that window of opportunity. And and because I want to be able to work with Steve in a positive way, that's why the timing of the story. It also gets filled back into the Avengers because um, that always that's just as a fix I would always put in. Um, Agreed. Now, I have to say, I would slant this differently if I were writing this for the Quantum Bang. I'm not, folks. This is my November story. But if I were writing this for the Quantum Bang, I would slant it differently because of the fix-it angle. And because I would want that theme to be pervasive, I would focus on the fixing of the Winter Soldier plotline and saving Bucky and getting Phil back. Those would be my focus points, and Tony would be like the catalyst for those events, as opposed to it being a story about him and his progression with being a mutant. So that would be a different focus if you were to make that. I mean, there are fix-it elements no matter which way I go, because there are things I don't like in canon that I'm always going to try to fix. But if my theme is fixing stuff and I'm trying to really explore the ripple effect of a fix, then I would focus more on what the subplots of Steve and the Winter Soldier and Bucky and Phil and all that stuff. I, Who does um, she think she can ask for grandkids? There's no Mpreg in this. <laughs> uh, canonically speaking, however how you say that, canonic, can, how you say that? Canonically? Yes, I do believe that... Um, Loki had several children, so I don't know why Thor couldn't. Okay. Okay, that's true. I can't see it making it into this story, but yeah, sure. Uh, that's that's you know, There we go. I'm opening up my mind to possibilities. <laughs> so, magic. <laughs> I am sure there's an alien device out there somewhere that Thor could get if him and Tony want to make babies. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably an Asgardian device out there somewhere. That's right. Maybe that's why Thor was never concerned about his mother not being pregnant. <laughs> Maybe they have a, a womb thing and he thought that's where Loki came from. That is just such a crazy plot hole, isn't it? Yes. That Thor that Thor actually thought that Loki was his brother. I mean, he's what when there was five hundred years older. There's no evidence whatsoever that his mother ever was pregnant with Loki. Yeah, that's pretty. It's a pretty blonde moment. Point break. Mom went on holiday, you know, to and came back with a baby, and just like, oh, didn't you know I was pregnant? No, <laughs> I must admit that. Well, he's a small baby. Here's your brother. He's almost a year old now. <laughs> Too bad you missed that whole pregnancy thing. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, yeah. 
So if they had, you know, baby wombs and Frigga wasn't required to carry the baby, it would make sense that Thor didn't realize that Loki wasn't his real brother. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's MCU canon that Thor's about 500 years older than Loki. Anyway, Kira and I had a big chat about this one night about possible explanations for how Thor could be so confused about <laughs> whether or not... Um, and also, the age difference explains how indulgent he is of Loki. Yeah, and how yeah. even when Loki had... is murdering people, he's still trying to get his his baby brother back. Yeah, he's just patting him on the head, kind of. Yeah, um, I'm sure he didn't mean but, to kill eighty people. But... It was an accident. <laughs> but I think one of the one of the one of the ideas we came up with when we were talking that I liked the best. Um, the problem is with one of we. I think we come up with like ten ideas for where Loki came from, and it's hard when you come, when you're doing that kind of brainstorm to know exactly who's what. What piece of it was his idea? But one of the ideas they came up with was that um, Laufey bore that that Loki is Laufey and Odin's child, and Laufey bore um, Loki, and it was planned all along that Loki would be raised on Asgard and that Frigga was mimicking, faking a pregnancy because she knew the baby would be coming. So that's how Thor, and that was just a way to explain why Thor thought he had a little brother. (laughs) So. Kind of puts a different spin on the, um, Laufey and Odin's spat over the years, but because um, <clears throat> maybe it was kind of like a pissed off message through Heimdall or something. You knocked me up, you asshole. You better be here in a year to pick this baby up. <laughs> yeah, that could be. It could be. The thing is, is she would have had to affect a pregnancy because nobody knew that Loki was adopted. (laughs) Unless there was... I mean, you could say that Thor went on an adventure for a couple years and and comes back to the little brother, but nobody else knew either. And if people knew that Loki was adopted, Loki would not have been surprised to find out later that he was adopted. It would have come out because there were a lot of people who didn't like Loki, and they would have used it against him. Marvel canon has been almost 500 years apart. I don't know about seeing them as children together in the first Thor movie. I haven't watched it in a very long time. I don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. If if they did, then there's an inconsistency in... Oh, that would be a surprise. Yeah, Marvel having an inconsistency. (laughs) Huh. Surely not. That's my sarcasm. I'm being sarcastic. Even if if Loki and Thor were close enough in birth order that Thor would not have noticed or been aware of the fact um, that his mother never carried Loki. The rest of the kingdom had to know. Yeah. 
Unless Frigga put some kind of spell on the whole kingdom to hide his um, her lack of pregnancy. Well, there's conf- okay, so there's conflicting information on timelines. One site says that um, when he when he brought Loki back to Asgard, that he raised him alongside his own son Thor, which implies Thor was young. Another site says that there are 500 years in in difference in age between them um, and they're both MCU sites so I don't know I don't have no clue what's accurate well let's go with that they were raised together that way Thor doesn't look like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's the way I think the way you have to position it is because uh, yeah at best, he they do this while Thor's away, or I don't know. Cast magic Both. on everybody, including her son. Yeah, so Ava, once once something's on DVD, we're past the worry about spoiler phase. Just, so just go for it. So girl. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Thor's on Netflix, so yeah, go ahead. Or Ragnarok's on Netflix. I love Thor Ragnarok. I mean, that just that movie is I so, it was it's so different. One. It's it is the best one, and it's so different from the rest of the franchise. It's just like a breath of fresh air. Um, everyone forgot. Ah, uh, okay, that's true. And there are people who had to have been alive when she was around. Which I think probably it 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 boils back to Frigga, who's magic magic. Yeah. I think Ragnarok was definitely the best Thor out of all of them. In fact, I would put it in my top five Marvel movies. Yeah, I would too. It and Black Panther, two two of the re- more recent movies, It and Black Panther, um, I think my top three would Black be. Black Panther was stunning. Black Panther would probably be my favorite, and then Thor Ragnarok, and then uh, the first Avengers movie, and then um, the first Iron Man movie. I'm trying to think of what number five would be. Maybe the first Guardians of the Galaxy, just because it's so much fun. Um, I would pick, uh, actually, look, I would pick Black Panther, Ragnarok, uh, both Guardians of the Galaxies. I, I love them both. And um, the first Iron Man. Yeah. But in mythology, Loki is Odin's brother, not his son. Yeah, so the MCU did a lot of twists and turns. The problem is they made – here you go, folks. The MCU is a perfect example of not accounting for your ripples because they they made changes in in what we their account mythology for. Their mythology fan fiction? The, mytholo- the mythological canon, and they didn't account for what that meant, Um what that would look like. I mean, they just, they have so many, they have so many plot holes and issues in their timeline. I mean, I spent, you know, even though I was working in a fairly narrow window um, with stuff in July, I still looked a lot of stuff at timeline to try to figure out because they retconned stuff in Iron Man 2, um, the dates. And no, they retconned Iron Man, the first Iron Man, the dates of first Iron Man um, to occur, I think, two years later. 
than yeah, they actually like originally did. Uh, anyway, Kira was trying to help me make sense of the timeline, and it's just dizzying the number of inconsistencies and plot holes they have, and oh, it's terrible. So you just got to make your own timeline and just stick with it. Yeah, stick with it. Be consistent in your own story. Um, Because at one point we had uh, we had timelines. You you set you you sent me a new timeline. um, At one point that I had never seen before. That had again completely different dates. Completely different dates. I was like, oh, I can't deal anymore. I can't deal. And the Marv the MCU wiki is great for some things, but they tend to base character ages based on the actors' ages, which I. I really and don't know how they determine Loki's age in that case. <laughs> so, um, that's ridiculous because it puts um, Black Widow being recruited to Shield, nineteen or twenty years old, and yet she was which, former KGB and former Red Room and an internationally known assassin. And by that point, at twenty, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And they base that age off of. Um, Scarlett's age. So, yeah, that's just crazy. They did the same thing in the wiki. If you look in the wiki about how old the twins are, the Maximoff twins, um, it's based upon the actress. They did that. There's actually a footnote in there that explains the calculation they used based upon the actor's age to come up with the age of the character. I was like, oh, that's just dumb. No. So, um. Well, yes, Jean Grey doesn't exist in the MCU. <laughs> I'm sorry, she she's owned by is it who owns that? Is that Sony or Fox that owns? It's Sony because if it was Fox, then Disney would own them now. Yeah, it would be it would be a done deal by now. Yeah, so I think I think Sony owns that. So, um, wait, no, because Deadpool is now Disney, right? Deadpool, I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know how Deadpool got um, Avengers in in the movie. I've never quite understood the mechanism by how that works. Because it's almost like Deadpool straddles some, and maybe they just let it be because it's Deadpool. They straddle some weird line where both the mutant verse and the inhuman verse, he's in both of them. I, uh, it's very confusing. Although I I have to say that Deadpool two had the best the single best after credit scene ever made. That was so good. That was that was fight exceptional. me fight me if you disagree. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in it. I'm gonna be I, I'll fight you because what no just, you can't. It was hysterical. And remember we talked about that. And I said after you've seen Deadpool two, we need to talk about how luck is a power because wasn't it a superpower? Yes, it was. It was. It made me want to write a mutation of, of luck. I mean, that was, she was, well, I'm blanking on her name, Domino. Domino. Domino was amazing. I love Domino. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Deadpool does straddle everything. I would totally buy that. Although my favorite line in that whole movie comes from the girlfriend when um, he says, don't fuck, who does he tell her she can't fuck? Somebody said, yeah. and then she turns around and tells him not to fuck um, Colossus. 
Because he's like, that was actually on the table. <laughs> that was on my mind already, yeah. Oh, he tells her, don't fuck Elvis. Yeah. 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 And she says, don't yeah, fuck so Colossus. Yeah, so he says, don't fuck Elvis, and she replies, don't fuck Colossus. Um, but yeah, that was a great after credit scene. It was, it was the best. Um, was, I, yeah, I really enjoyed really that. Ryan Reynolds has a really good sense of humor. Um, um, and he employs it brilliantly when he took on the, in that scene in particular, in the after credit scene. Uh, but he just, he just employed it brilliantly in the franchise. Also, I would say that, that, I don't know how to say this is up. Death was on DVD, right? That is I think the first it just time. Came out. I think I think it just came out on DVD. That's the first time I've ever seen a death scene where I was like, "Oh my God, is he gonna die anytime soon?" <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got impatient with his death scene. His not death scene. I got impatient with it. I was like, "Is he gonna die any minute? Like it could happen any second now." <laughs> That shit went off for like a minute or two. <laughs> Can we get on to the crying part now? Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's great. I highly recommend um, Deadpool. It's filthy, though. It's not as filthy as the first one, but it's still filthy. I would not take your children to see it or watch it Ever. in the room with them. Yeah, De- Deadpool's, <laughs> Deadpool's just a different... It's a different... Um, that's an animal right of, there. Uh, and the funny thing is, this is—I read this weird article because I mentioned—I mentioned yesterday that I don't think I'm going to be able to see Venom because um, I tend to see superhero movies, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do that one because um, every time I every time I see him, he it freaks me out. I, I get very disconcerting. The whole it is what thing. they what they did with Venom from a the costuming and the appearance of Venom. I mean, it just I get anxious just thinking about it but anyway i was reading this article that the um director was pushing for an r rating on the movie um i i'm not a hundred percent that part well, i wasn't really explained very very clearly why but there's been indications that sony's going to try to get a pg-13 rating on the movie um and there's some worry that that pg-13 rating will ruin the movie and make it a flop that it'll take out too much of the I don't know the anti superhero vibe that they're going for. Which Personally, I, I don't think they could get a PG thirteen um, warning based purely on the CGI. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but anyways, it's just weird that the studio is going for something different than the director's going for. But just like you said, just based upon what few scenes I saw in the trailer, I don't know how you could call that PG thirteen. That level of violence. I wouldn't and even call the trailer PG thirteen. Yeah, I wouldn't either. The trailer freaked me out. I didn't couldn't even get through the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, I saw the trailer in the theater when I went to see um, Deadpool two, I think, and I was like backing up in my seat. And I didn't even know I was doing it. I there's no way that could be. I mean, I. Mm-mm. Yeah, so there's all this. Uh, 
a lady in front of me got up and walked out of the theater. She came back when the, when the trailers were over. I, I don't blame I just her. don't see it. It's just freaky. And the thing, I don't know why, but there's this whole thing that if the studio gets its way about the edit and getting a PG, trying to get a PG-13, there's this worry that's going to ruin the movie and that all the plans they have for sequels is going, and for people who like that kind of thing, it probably, because I'm not going to see it no matter what. I don't care which rating it's got on it because Venom freaks me out. Um, but if they dumb it down, basically, and they try to make it less than it is, I just can't have a character that violent and grotesque and then dumb down the violence in the... In the I just I don't see it. To so try to get, you know... Anyway, um, clearly... Um, but there's some, some, some idea that the, one of the reasons why they're trying to bring the... This article speculated that one of the reasons why Sony is trying to bring... Um, the rating down is because they want to do a fusion movie with Spider-Man because they own the rights to Spider-Man, even though they allowed him to be part of the MCU universe. They gave those rights. Uh, and we're talking about the, the Tom Holland. I just can't. I can't. I, I don't want to see Venom and Spidey, little young, like barely out of puberty Sweet. Spidey in the same movie. No. Let's just but, both cross the but stream. But that whole... But but isn't that whole storyline really gory and terrible and Yes, yes. Spidey the whole the whole storyline in canon with Venom and Spidey was terrible and I it needs to be a different Spidey. I'm sorry, it can't be it can't be MCU Spidey. <laughs> so, but yeah. They can't get Tom Paul and Darley like that. Um, that's just not appropriate. I don't think Tony will agree. <laughs> I think Tony's got something to really Look. Curious to say when about that. he gets his little Spider-Man back, he's not going to let Sony get them get him dirty with Venom. That's right. No. Tony should have a bunker buster up Venom's ass. Like, what's my? I, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> have to redo that whole babysitter suit. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, yeah, so. So are you are you on board with the hot godly love? I I, I am on board with the hot godly godly love thing. So let's let's do yours. Okay, I actually have a couple of ideas. My my first one um, is I would like to do a full on exploration of Bug John. Um, uh, after the initial bug incident, um where he has to come to terms with the fact that he'll never be fully human again. Because um, I've always, like, approached that from the outside, like it's already happened, it's a done deal, he's accepted it and moved on. Um, so I was thinking about exploring that. But then there's another part of me, that, and I started this idea before, but it didn't work out the way I wanted it to because I did something stupid with it, um, where McKay leaves the Stargate program when they try to send him to Antarctica, not Antarctica, but Siberia. And I tried doing it with a, with a Meredith, and it, I just it, it didn't feel right. So um, I went back to the idea of McKay, and I, I tried to plot it, and I'm kind of stuck on it, where McKay leaves the program and ends up working for the Marine Corps, where John is um, John has been wounded, and he volunteered for um, a, an experiment in biomodification. McKay comes on board and ends up building the first Spartan, the first Spartan armor. 
Wow. And, and he builds it for John. So, you know, one is, you know, one I'm very comfortable in. I would be very comfortable with Bug John because um, uh, I've, I've already written that quite a bit. But, and, but trying to explore the uh, creation of the Spartan armor, um, which comes from the video game Halo, for those of you who aren't prepared for it, who don't know what that means. It's a, it's a combat armor exoskeleton um, that basically turns the average soldier into a one-man war. And in the game, the, the men and women who wear the Spartan armor are heavily biomodified. They're basically cybernetic. They have um, artificial organs, artificial limbs, depending on um, injuries in the field. Um, so, you know. But as I recall from no, the game, no. um, the Spartan- John, um, his name is John, but his last name is not Shepard. Shepard comes from another um, game. What's that game? It's a different game. I can't think of the game, but Shepard's a different game. And if Senna was listening to this, she'd be shouting it at us. But Shepard is not in Halo. So go ahead. Yeah, I know I know his name is John, but in my head I never think of anything but the Master Chief. So I don't make right. any connection to John Shepard. Um, but what, the Spartans, I mean, they didn't, it wasn't just Spartan... I, I, if I recall from the game, and I haven't played Halo since it was one of the first two versions of it, I think. Um, mm-hmm. They also lived a very solitary existence, too. Yes. Which is why when I was first building a Spartan SGAU, I made them um, kind of like Sentinels in, the, in that they required, I think it is biomass, Willow, um, where that, that Shepard comes from. Uh, but... Uh, that they had an engineer that that worked with them in the field, like a guide, and that they were connected. Because the um, what my my world building was is that after uh, the the war with the Covenant, uh, it became known to the general public that Spartans were basically stolen children, and that they had been um, conditioned and brainwashed from childhood to be Spartans, and so when they revamped the program, they could only take adults and the adults could only be volunteers. And the problem was is because they weren't modified as children, living in the suit, even short term, was driving them insane. So they needed something. And the idea was that connecting with them with another person mentally would help stabilize them. And so each Spartan got an engineer. Um, and it was a biochemical connection created with technology, much like a, say, a sentinel and a guide. And I have um, several parts of that written, but then, um, yeah, Master John was a uh, master. The, the Master Chief was was Barton 117, and his first name was John. We don't find out his first name until Halo 2, I believe, um, when Cortana. Uh, no, it's Halo 3. She, no? She calls him John. 
um, she's she their ship is being destroyed and he's in um, stasis and she's calling for him and he's not getting through. Um, she, she's not getting through to him and she starts screaming his name, John, John. And then um, he comes up out of the 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 pod he's in and grabs her and they end up being thrown off the ship. And I think that's that, that's got to be Halo Four. The Master Chief's first name is John, and he doesn't have a last name because he was stolen. He's an orphan, and he was stolen by the government and modified. Okay, Commander Shepard is from Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Mass, see, Biomass was close. We were close. You were close. Closer than I was. But, yeah, so that's an idea, but... um. I've never really worked out all my world building for Spartans, which is why the other idea hasn't gone anywhere. Um, and, you know, trying again during nano probably wouldn't be a good idea because I, when you have a really complicated idea like that, the pressure of posting on rough trade, it I've learned the hard way is, is not a good bet for me. I think, you know, combined with my structural issues with synthetic, that that was part of it. I just couldn't, in a live challenge, you can kind of you can kind of bully yourself into doing something. It's not that it's not me doing it to you, but you kind of I do it. You know, you bully yourself sometimes into posting or working on it when you're not ready to, um, or right. not ready to share it. Because if you had been working on synthetic privately, you would have had that realization that this should be an original series, and you would have abandoned the fan fiction element. Um, right. So, but we can kind of get in this mode of like, okay, it's a challenge. Um, I need to keep working on this. And um, it's it's a little bit of like bullying, you know, it, it's not bullying yourself. That's probably the wrong term. But it is, you just kind of feel like, you know, you, you're pushing yourself. And, and sometimes um, you can push yourself you, in a bad way. Yeah, and sometimes you regret it. So, and pushing, I'm usually pushing myself is a good thing. Um, but sometimes it it doesn't work out and sometimes I wish I hadn't done it. It's like, well, I was, and the key is I was uncomfortable. And if I was uncomfortable, that should be a clue. Should have been, yes. But, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, so I think that as, as much as I would love to write a Spartan AU, I still am not ready to do it properly. Um, So it takes you back to Bug John. I think it's a fascinating idea. Yeah, I have to think about, you know, the politics of it and, you know, where would various people be on the spectrum of that? Who's lobbying to get him back on Earth for experimentation? Because you know that intellectually that would happen. Um where are his allies, you know, you know, obviously I would consider McKay an ally, you know. Um, I'm on the fence about Beckett. <laughs> uh, well, Beckett is such a, he's so inclined to experiment. Polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. His, his ethics, his scientific ethics, his medical ethics, um, it's difficult. I mean, usually I, I write him in a positive way, but not always. But it's easy to spin him either way because of the medical ethics issue. 
And that's a big deal when it comes to a doctor or scientist. You know, you have to, if you're going to entrust your life to them or you've got a serious problem, you have to have confidence in their ethics. And uh, he'd be, he'd be, he could be a very difficult character. But wouldn't it be interesting um, if the reason John gets called back to Earth and it becomes an issue is because Carson experiments on him? Oh, that would be ish interesting. Or what if he does something worse? What if he experiments on the entire expedition? Like making them all bugs? Giving them all what John got. Oh, that's interesting. And he would kill some of them, obviously. They wouldn't all. Maybe he would put it out as an advanced gene therapy to get everybody to take it. John wouldn't need it because he already has the best gene they've got. Or he puts it out as a vaccine or something, and he experiments on the entire expedition, and he kills a very large portion of them. Because he could have with the original gene therapy. Yeah, he could have killed them all along with that. I like the idea of a vaccine, you know, just something, you know, innocuous that they wouldn't expect to be a problem. And and that your chief medical officer is giving you, so why would why wouldn't you trust him? And then people start dying. And John would not be very forgiving because Rod, you'd be one of the people that he would have gotten that virus. He would have given that mutation mm-hmm. to. I mean, so what he, he basically creates, so either he kills you or he creates what amounts to a superhuman, except it's, you know, bug. So then they've got however many are left. Are they all super or does it just not work on some people? Does it kill some, not affect some? I think that um, it, either it works or they die. Sort of like the Hoff virus. I think it would be even more interesting, exactly like the Hoff virus, I think it would be even more interesting if it was approved by the IOA. Ooh. That could be an interesting vehicle for destroying the IOA. I mean, they're kind of a pain in the ass anyway. But if it gets out that they sanctioned this kind of experimentation on military assets um, and and a high highly valued scientific asset science you know um, then I would think somebody would be a little pissed off about that at least the government a lot of people will be a little pissed off yeah because you know these are the cream of the crop killed what half not to mention the military fatalities. 
Oh, I'd kill Weir. Um, there's no way she'd come out of this alive. Because any opportunity to kill her is a good one. I'm, I'm just, I, I can't stand her. Just saying. Yeah, she'd be fun to give her some serious consequences for, because if she passed the order along um, and agreed with it, um, she'd be fun to get some consequences to, but then you'd have to write her, and that's not any fun. Unless they all die slowly and in agony, and then that means I would have to kill some really nice people slowly with agony, and I wouldn't want to do that. So, But it would be nice to know that she, it, that she knew she was going to die. She caused it. Now, does Carson give himself like, this therapy? I would think not. What if, oh my gosh, what if you could have him like petitioning, lobbying to be the one to work on the solution? You know, you need me. I'm the only one who can figure this out. That would be so obscene. It would be obscene. But totally within character. Beckett has a god complex. Yeah. And that god complex eventually kills him. Well, they just, they had no boundaries out there. I mean, none. It was horrifying. The whole, I mean, I, the first time I watched the show, I was a little bit like, wow, they just gave that, they gave gene therapy to people without even blinking. Huh. Um, and then when the whole Michael plot line, the whole what they did with Michael, I was horrified by that whole mm. Michael thing. And um, that was just, mm-mm. and he, and the way he positioned it, like it was the humanitarian thing to do, to have these people dependent on this drug, otherwise they're, you know, going to eat you, um, and keeping them in camps, that that was the hum- humane thing to do. I mean, what a twisted set of values. Is it just me, or did they, or did they look like concentration camps? They did. And that's exactly what they look like. At the least, internment camps. Um, and those, and those, 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 basically, with the race, with the race traits suppressed, they're basically basically ancients, right? So you have all these ancients. Um, for life on this drug that you have to have military assets guarding them and administering this drug and making sure they get it and forced to live in this environment because if they miss a dose, they're deadly. I mean, it, it's just, it's like saying, okay, there was it's no, like saying life. There's no maintaining that. It was never maintainable. And yet he acted so um, superior, like it was, um, the humane thing to do to make them live like that. It was terrible. But I do like the idea of Beckett experimenting on the entire population of Atlantis and um, killing a whole bunch of people. Um, because the SGC does shit like that all the time and there's never any consequences. Never any serious consequences. 
you could use it as a vehicle to completely get the SEC to get the star, not the SEC, but the Stargate program under different um, leadership. I mean, that would be a big, a big plot bite to take to, to bite off, but. What, you mean like UN oversight? Yeah, because if the whole thing blows up, right, like they come back to Earth because half their population is gone, and those that are left aren't basically aren't human anymore. Um, I mean, I don't know what the erratus would do to them, make them smarter, faster, longer lived, and they come back, and it's the IOA is responsible for all of this. Um, and the SGC has a pattern of allowing this kind of behavior to occur, I mean, at some point, that kind of thing is just going to blow up. It should. I could actually start it, like, during the investigation on Earth, like with a series of interviews, like that episode of Criminal Minds where they're, where it's told um, in an interview format, basically. You know that one where Dr. Oh. Where, where Reed um, corrects those senior officials when they called him agent, and he goes, and it's doctor. <laughs> That would actually, I, I really enjoy that kind of format. It's um, um, it's what actually that format is one of the rare times that something sort of vaguely nonlinear can work for me, um, mm-hmm. because you can have that whole thing where you have somebody giving a statement about a part of something that occurred, and then the narrative is the thing that occurred, um. That's like that's like the only vehicle I think I've ever really personally been able to handle the nonlinear thing. Um, and it would almost be like flashbacks, which I don't know yeah, really right, because, but I think this format would be – it would lean itself uh, because, to that. Because I think that the, the questioning, the interrogation part of it would frame the scene. So you would kind of be kind of framing what was important about the scene you're about to see. Um There was a Agreed. really powerful yeah. episode, there was a really powerful episode of Code Black like that where a doctor got killed and um they made some question made some risky decisions in how to treat her in the emergency room. And so it was all of the people were being interviewed and the piece they were being interviewed about this the story was still told in a basically linear fashion except for these interviews. Because it was like an interview happened and they'd ask questions and then you'd see that portion of the of the events that occurred and framing, yeah, that's you know, why I think that I would do it. I think I would do it that way. Keep it in a linear fashion. Um, and then do it that way, you know, just kind of moving through a testimony for maybe like three or four characters. Mm-hmm. I could have Woolsey be one of the people asking the questions. I like Woolsey. I especially like the actor plays Woolsey. I like him a lot. I think he has a lot of um, he has a great presence. I agree. Yeah, I like that. That would be a fascinating format to explore. It would be easy to um, frame in RT too so I could part because one of the one of 
one of the more interesting things that happens to me during Rev Trade, especially during Nano, is I absolutely hate to post half a chapter. It drives me nuts. And sometimes I do it, but I hate it. I, I like I to post like to the whole either. chapter. It drives me nuts. I've done it. One year I made myself do it. It was like whatever I had written that day is what got posted. Um, but I mm. so I so disliked doing partial chapters that I just the only time you get partials out of me is in the is in July because I'm writing a one shot basically that is usually a three or four part arc. Most of the one, the ones this year were three part and writing um, a, a third a full part would be like seven k, which is excessive for a single post. Although I did it once, but didn't eight one eight one eight k post. So, but that was that was what I got written that day. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna post it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, usually I prefer to, you know, write a chapter. And if it takes me two days to write a chapter, then I post every other day. But the one year I made myself post, I just was so unhappy with those partial chapters. Um, I don't know. I think the survivors would all have positive. I mean, they would they would get the benefits that John was left with because that's what Carson's. Um, but that, that that's what Carson was left with. Um, stronger, heightened senses, maybe a longer lifespan um, because of the race lived so long. Um, uh, healing factor. Um, the psychological impact would be so significant that I think the suicide rate could be high if, if yeah. not monitored carefully. Because um, the loss of your humanity would be a big stumbling block for a lot of people. Especially considering the nature of their mission, where you know the the more the line between them and the race was about you know a lot about the difference in human versus race, right? Um, and to be part of the basically they'd be having I mean I would it come out that they'd be kind of like part of the thing that made the race. Yeah, I don't think they could live on Earth. Um, I I don't think they could live on Earth. I don't think it would be safe for them. Well, I think be he definitely would have experimented on Ronan and Taylor. Um, and I think that um, that the only way Carson Beckett survives um, experimenting on Ronan is Ronan doesn't find out he's a victim of it until Carson's off the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's the question. Um, you 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 got to have somebody, when they come back to Earth, um, there's got to be somebody, because the SGC's usual MO for dealing with these kind of problems, and the IOA, to cover them up. And that would mean all those people would disappear. So there would have to be somebody powerful who would get, I would think, I don't know what you're thinking, but I would think there would have to be somebody powerful to prevent that from happening that these people wouldn't all just disappear down to a deep dark hole it has to be someone um i think patrick shepherd will definitely make a make a make an appearance but i think it has to be someone that landry would be afraid to move against um and that boils down to sam carter or daniel jackson 
Because if he moved against Daniel Jackson, Jack O'Neill would rip his head off. So if Daniel or Sam get out of the SGC with this information and they get it to Jack, there's political weight there. I wouldn't want to ever write Jack O'Neill as somebody who would sanction the disappearance of that many people. Oh. No. I, I don't know. If wow. he did that to Daniel, then Carson wouldn't be safe on Earth either. And I do need him alive for most of my plot. Or not, I guess. Although Ronan could be pissed if O'Neill killed him before. See, see O'Neill can't kill anybody. I need, I, I need his political weight. <laughs> so I could not have Daniel involved in the experiment. He's already suffered enough. <laughs> that could be the straw. If if they come back, Daniel finds out what's going on, and then they come back. Daniel finds out what's going on, and then he hears the plan is someone's quote unquote coming to pick all of these people up, and he is like, we're not going to do anything about this. And then that's you know he could be horrified at the idea that there he because Daniel's got to be suspicious of the SGC shenanigans. The thing is, is the people try the the people doing this maneuvering have literally no idea what they would be doing or what they would be trying to do, because John by himself could go through a large majority of the base and not even increase his heart rate. Right. And if there are even fifteen or twenty of them left, and they're all like that, well, if. Daniel Jackson might be the only survivor. Oh, yeah, Ronan. (laughs) Ronan, Lorne. I wouldn't kill Ronan or Taylor or McKay. Um, I wouldn't kill Lorne. I might need him later. Um, He's too pretty to kill. You can't do that. Maddie, besides, Maddie needs him. (laughs) I know, right? I just kill my OTP. I could never kill Miko. Who's going to be a smart ass? Somebody has to deliver the smart-ass testimony, and that's usually Miko. <laughs> no, Rodney's the vicious one. Miko's the smart-ass one. Um, but you're, I would have and to And you're kill, not going to... Uh, would you kill... I, I, I would think you'd have to make some sort of significant loss. I hate myself for saying that. Would it be Radic? Yeah, I'm... Yeah. Yeah. My heart hurts. Parish, um, Weir, uh, Chuck. Chuck. It has to be significant. You, you, there, there has to be investment. Um, isn't Heightmare already dead at this point? No, she died later. Okay. Um, I need to figure out the timeline on this and, and when it will take place because I could kill all the people that got killed during the Duranda episode if they haven't already been killed. It would be post-Bates because Bates was only in the first season. Bates goes back to Earth after um, season one. Oh, no, no. Kavanaugh would never survive. I like to kill Kavanaugh on principle for a personal reason. 
I tend to swap out Kavanaugh and Peter Groden. I tend to find reasons why Kavanaugh's the one on that satellite when the Wraith destroy it rather than Groden. So that's that's just me. At the kill, uh, Brio, B-R-O, ever how you say her name, and I probably, oh, and then unfortunately, a geneticist working in the research lab named Jennifer Keller died as well. <laughs> oh shucks. It's deeply unfortunate. She could have been helpful. <laughs> I'm going to put a big old death warning on this. I'm going to put a big old death warning on this and like provide a separate page of of people who died. If you want to know who dies in this fic before you read it, click here. (laughs) You'd reveal you'd reveal a lot of the death like practically right up front, right? Right. There's no point in not providing a list. (laughs) Yeah, they would already be dead. They would already be dead when the story starts. Yeah. yeah, so it wouldn't be like a big, you know, secret, like, you know, people would be spoiling the end. It's like, okay, bitches, the story starts, these people are dead. If you can't deal with that, don't read the story. <laughs> or you could go the opposite way. You know, to start the story, these are the only people left alive. If you can't deal with all the dead, don't read the story. I think that Jack would be worried about whether or not he could maintain political control, so he'd reach out for Patrick Shepard and say, your son's in a hell of a lot of trouble, and I need you to throw your money and your name and your weight around, or you may never see him again. Patrick, Canon Patrick might not might tell him to go kiss, kick his, you know, kiss my ass. But my Patrick, going to get on a plane. He'd be all up in that. <laughs> He'd be all up what in that. What do you mean? <laughs> if you would like to survive to walk out of this building, O'Neill, I suggest you make yourself perfectly clear. What are you talking about? But yeah, that would be. Think- um, yeah, I would. I would just. That that makes me feel better about July, November. So yeah, I'm I'm really on board with that. I love that whole um, court testifying interview thing anyway, and just to do a whole fix that way just really, I find it very emotionally satisfying. <laughs> oh, and that could be that could be the. Um... Yeah, you, I, I don't know. Which, I don't know which direction you're going to go, but it could be something like it, it's the um, the actual good guys are doing the interviews, right? Like everything is falling apart already, and it's whoever's taking over for the IOA is trying to figure out what happened. And then some guy looks, look, Colonel, we are trying to figure out why 310 people are dead, and since that's more people than were ever on the expedition, it's like, how did 300 people die? <laughs> we need all this information. We need to understand exactly how it is that through all of this stuff, that this sheer large number of people by, well, let me tell you about Ronan. <laughs> and, and what happened when Landry tried? That would be such an interesting way of handling the exposition. It's like every time you need to stop and explain something, you do a cutaway 
to another person's testimony. Um, yeah. Okay, Dr. Yeah. Sanji, what can you tell us about the day that you noticed that you were changing? <laughs> and then she says a few things to frame the scene, and you go back to your stuff, you know, and then you get to another part where you need some exposition, cut back to the hearing, you know. Yeah. Dr. McKay. Yeah. When 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 that when you're when the scientist you were berating dropped dead in front of you, what <laughs> did you? <laughs> what was your first reaction? What did you think was happening when half of your staff started to die, died? Yeah, so that could be, and then go back to. It would be very much like a really riveting kind of TV show where they're trying to get to the bottom of this thing that happened, and you'd have people who were sad and people who were angry and people who were, you know, you'd have a lot of different emotions and you could have the person with the right emotional tone testifying and oh, it would be so much fun. Then, I'm, then I'm there would be that idea. moment where Mr. Dex, are those handcuffs comfortable? <laughs> would, you, would you like some water? Um, we're sorry about the restraints, but <laughs> we understand. You killed 200 people. <laughs> And then Ronan's like, actually, I'm quite calm now. These cuffs are just making you feel better. <laughs> I can get, get like, out of them. Kind of like just pop them open and just stretch. And then yeah. like, stick his hands back in them. <laughs> <laughs> Shepard said these would make you feel better, so I'm putting up with it. <laughs> But no, I mean, yuck, yeah, it would. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really on board with this. I feel much better about this than I did before because I wasn't sure how I wanted to approach it, um, and but I like the idea of exploring um, the lack of ethics and the ramifications of of human experimentation and. Um, All that stuff. And of course, then I had to make a list of people who died. So that will be, you know, not the first time I've done that. <laughs> you, It's not your first death database. No. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I have to decide if, if, if this is like a, a, um, a hearing um uh a private hearing or if this is like um they're testifying before the senate or or what well, I, don't I, think I, I would hope if the UN Yeah, the UN but it would probably be like a subcommittee on the UN if it was the UN because they wouldn't mm-hmm. do the full assembly. It's too many people to the focus would be too split. They probably have a special committee to investigate. What is that called? The, the, uh, who are those people that investigate? Um, I can't remember what they're called. Um, the, the people who, it, it, um, the ICC investigators, the office of the prosecutor of the ICC.
Because would that be the purview of the International Criminal Court? I think so. So that would be what the Hague? I think so too. Yeah, because that's what. Um, I mean, the IOA is an international body, and they're the ones who fucked up, right? So they'd be looking at who to press charges against, and it would be an international body that would be on the chopping block. Um, various members of it, potentially not. Um, and then, of course, you know, the people who directly, Landry, um, Carson, blah, blah, blah. I'll have Woolsey testify, and um, the first question he'll be um, he'll be asked is, um, "Why did you resign as the American representative for the IOA in such such date?" <laughs> because he refused to participate in this. Because I don't think he would. Yeah, I think the minute he knew about it, he'd be like, "Fuck that." But if he knew about it and resigned over knowing about it ahead of time, I think he'd have gone to somebody. So he would have to not know in advance. Except except maybe he went to Landry and Landry didn't do anything. Oh, that'd be interesting. He told Landry that the IOA was sending these orders and Aunt Landry said um, – that he was going to take care of it. And then and then um, he leaves didn't. the IOA anyway because of the questionable ethics. And then he finds out that Landry didn't do anything. So that builds in some regret from him and some betrayal. And um, I wouldn't want him to be complicit, which means he has to resign over it. But I wouldn't want him to walk away without telling somebody, so he needs to tell somebody. But if he tells the wrong person, then it won't happen, and then I won't have a story. Yeah. So if he because if he told Jack, he, Jack would have come down on it all. He'd have been on Atlantis, like, and he'd have yeah. had Carson Beckett cuffs, and that shit would not have happened at all. So that ruins my whole story. So it has to be Landry whom Woolsey confines in. So then you have, um, I and like you mentioned, the regret is a really powerful impetus for him because he thinks he 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 regrets that he didn't do more, that he didn't make sure, and that he, mm-hmm. you know, he left the IOA over it, and so that becomes a powerful motivator for him to use his contacts to back up Patrick to ensure that this can't be just swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Maybe he finds out that it happened because Patrick comes to him. That means I have to put Patrick on the stand, too, eventually. Well, yeah. Especially if Patrick's getting involved and throwing his weight around, making sure that, you know, John and the few survivors that are left don't disappear. I think I'll start testimony with O'Neill. Start with O'Neill to do, to do the setup, and then I will back up all the events and start with um, uh, 
maybe Miko or just a I think that I would save John and John or Rodney for last. But I could enter I could enter like, you know, this would take place over this trial would not last one day. It would be a it would be over a week or two, perhaps three. So there would be scenes with the cast outside of the trial as well, I think. I don't know. I could do the passage of time with dates. We are speaking to Doctor. The date is. Oh, yeah. And then they could reference um, the date on Atlantis. So you'd have um, um, a reference for how far back in time you're talking about. I'm going to need a big old timeline. Timeline. I love timelines. Someone sent me a link to a timeline builder. I'll have to see, get find that link. Maybe John will testify last, and when he gets finished testifying, he's um, taken back to the SGC, and they dial the gate for him, and he walks through and returns to Atlantis, and whoever meets him there, like McKay, and and John has uh, the final verdicts on, on what happened to those who were involved in the experimentation. then they take the city from the planet they're living on so Earth won't know where they are. Well, I'm really jazzed about this. Um, I try not to get too emotionally attached to other people's ideas, but I really like this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm really looking forward to to Tony and Thor getting it on, too, so... (laughs) Because sometimes you plot bounce with somebody and you just like it's so excited about their idea and then it never doesn't work out for them and you're like, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> but such is life. It happens that way sometimes. I think more of them need to survive if I'm going to have a city. Yeah, I think you're going to have to have more of them survive and some of them stay behind. Um, if they all, if they abandon Atlantis completely, because uh, there's no, but there's, I mean, they'd either have to send relief, a relief uh, contingent to the city, or they'd be abandoning it if they bring everybody back. Instead of Landry trying to disappear them when they come to Earth, maybe he tries to cut off their access to the gate. Maybe he tries to get Sam Carter to reprogram the gate so the gates in Pegasus, the, the gate in Pegasus, Atlantis can't dial them because Atlantis's gate is the only one who can dial. Oh yeah, what if the what if the report comes in and he tries to cut them off completely? 
stop and run from the Daedalus, and his intention is to report the city was destroyed. Or what if he intends to throw a bomb through? Oh, God, that's so terrible. What if he's told, oh. you've got to cover up this fuck-up? You make it seem like that we lost contact with Atlantis, and when the Daedalus um, went back, there was no city there, or something like that. Well, I think he would have to order Carter to figure out some way to kill Atlantis' ability to dial any gate in the Milky Way galaxy. To find some way to remotely reprogram that crystal that's sitting in their DHD. Right. Or if he sends a bomb through, or he tries to send a bomb through, I think that Carter would end up being killed trying to um, preventing it. Yeah. Because what if he... um... What if he lies about what's gone on? Did you see the movie Doom? Doom? Yeah, Doom. Yeah, I love that movie. My favorite part is when The Rock turns to the TV, to the camera and says, I wasn't supposed to die. That's right, <laughs> Rock, you weren't. <laughs> Wayne is always supposed to live. Um, but what if it was a situation, what if he tried to make it out to be a situation like what was happening on Mars? In, in Doom, Contagious. like that, there that everybody that it was a complete loss. That um, the report had come through. That and you know, he's manufactured intel about what was going on out there. And Sam was like, "What the hell are you talking? We don't just we can't just abandon them." And so his, he's like, "We got to do containment. The city's a loss. Everybody's been infected. They have no cure. We can't risk sending more troops through. We have to cut Atlantis off and figure out how to make sure that they can't spread this disease to anybody else." Um, and she starts maybe hacking and gets the real report. And finds out what really happened. I think that um I think that she probably will do that and it'll get her killed. Ouch. And maybe Landry thinks that he contained it by killing Carter but she'd already told Daniel and maybe Mitchell I mean you kill Daniel or Carter anybody from his original team and Jack's going to tear a hole in the universe to try to figure out what the fuck happened maybe Sam hides the data in one of Daniel's notebooks and he comes to his office after her funeral and he finds it. That's too that's too much time. I don't want to give Landry time to actually try to destroy Atlantis. Um, I like the idea actually of him trying to send a bomb through to destroy their gate or to destroy their just to destroy their gate. And um SG1 what fans if he's are going to kill me. Sam and um, what, and blowing up Atlantis's gate. Yeah, and they have other gates, and he doesn't know that that they've harvested a space gate or something, and it's just never come up as being. They were waiting to see if it was necessary, and then their gate gets blown up, and it becomes necessary. 
because maybe he's never paid that much attention to what's going on in Atlantis and that taking out their gate isn't going to fix his problem. Maybe they don't have I the like gate then. The idea of Sam Carter making the sacrifice play and closing the gate shield on Earth before the bomb can be sent through. Now when she's like sent, puts a virus or something in the system, it's going to take them time to figure out how to unlock the shield. And the bomb goes off and kills her and whoever's in the with her. Wow, that would be really powerful. Which means I might have to open up with Daniel Jackson's ter- testimony instead. It could be Dr. Jackson. Can you tell me about the day that Colonel Sam Carter was killed? And that was my opening line. How many people do you think would read it or just close it immediately? <laughs> uh, well, I had to say there's a large percentage of people that as long as Daniel's testifying, they have some assurance that, you know, that their Whoopi is still alive and, and they'd be okay. But, yeah, a few people would be like, whoa, no. <laughs> no, no. done. <laughs> We're but some people are going to be like, oh, wow. Go okay, ahead. that went by. Go ahead. Go I was going to say, some people are going to turn it away over Chuck or Raddick, or they're going to be like, oh, I can't deal with Chuck being dead. Or Walter. Or Walter. Whoever you kill, it's going to be, it'll be heartbreaking, but I'll be there. This would actually be a declassification pick as well. <laughs> said she'd read it because she doesn't like Carter. (laughs) Okay, you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me and Jilly bounce on each other in a non-sexual way. Um, You guys have a great week, and we'll catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Goodnight, everyone.